Tomorrow night, it might be nice to go out for dinner. Tomorrow night? Friday? Pork chop night? Friday night, pork chops. From cradle to grave, etched in stone in God's library okay, somewhere Okay, 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 okay. Where do you want to go? Anywhere but hamburgers, pizza, or fried chicken. Fine! We'll go to Mars! Hello, and welcome to The Simpsons Countdown. The podcast where we go back to the beginning and watch all of The Simpsons to trace the creative evolution of the series and count down, finding the exact moment in which it began its inevitable decline. I'm your host, Eric Santuan, and this week I'm once again joined by my dear friend Natalia Castro, calling in from her safe lockdown somewhere in Colombia. We'll be discussing One Fish, Two Fish, Blowfish, Bluefish, which originally aired in the U.S. on January 24th. 1991. In this episode, Homer chows down on some fugu at a sushi restaurant. Turns out that this is a potentially lethal blowfish, and Homer is told he has less than 24 hours to live. The remainder of the episode concerns Homer's attempt to fulfill every single item on a hurriedly composed bucket list. But in any case, it doesn't matter because, of course, Homer doesn't die. It's a very funny episode that manages to balance its dark humor with some genuinely heartfelt moments as it focuses on humanizing Homer, and Natalia and I are about to break it down. So, without further ado, here we go. So welcome back, Natalia. How are you? Uh, good, good. So things are still going how they're going. You know, we just have to hang in there, I guess. Yeah, you just have to try to live your best um, quarantine life, basically. Yes, yes, your best yes. quarantine life. Being quarantined gives us an opportunity, at least, to binge watch television shows that we like, such as The Simpsons, and uh, listen to podcasts. So, in a sense, you know, the, there is some good can come of it, and uh, we are taking advantage of that, I guess. Uh, today, we're here to talk about one fish, two fish, blowfish, bluefish. I do not like that title, but anyway, it's a it's a it's a parody of Dr. Seuss. Obviously, that's mm -hmm. what it is. But you know, I don't like the title, but I do think it's a fun episode. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a nice episode with a good story. The, this yeah. is peak Homer. <laughs> peak Homer, yes. This is the episode that made me sympathize with him, or at least, you know, like see him in a positive light. It's centered around him, of course. It's mm -hmm. one of those where. The writers, are, they, they realize that Homer is the more interesting character. You know, like if you want to build a, a show around someone, you have more to do if you build it around Homer than if you build it around Bart. You know, so yeah. it was just clear. And that this is one of those um, situations. But yeah, it's, it's an episode that kind of, it humanizes him. I mean, this is still, this is season two. So he's not yet at the level that he would eventually become this, uh, extremely cartoonishly stupid person. Mm -hmm. uh, at this point, he's still just basically a regular guy. You know, it's yeah. it's that step in the evolution. He's still kind of in between. You know, but he basically is just an everyman at this point. Um, not necessarily stupid, but not necessarily, but not a particularly intellectual person. Uh, not not a particularly cultured or, you know well-read person or whatever he's just kind of an average guy and yeah, uh, yeah this episode is very the storyline is dramatic it's a dramatic storyline even though the episode is very funny 
it's built around a very dramatic concept about, you know, he, he thinks he's going to die. So it, it kind of, it goes in that direction. And I'm, I'm surprised that they're able to, to wring so much genuine comedy out of this dark concept. And it's one of the most memorable episodes. Yeah, there, there are a lot of good bits. Uh, I think there's a couple of things. Well, one, one thing that's historical is that it's the first appearance of a side character, which is Akira, right? Mm -hmm. And Akira, here he's a waiter, right? But later he'll show up. He'll, he'll be like a karate instructor. Or he'll be this or that. There's this character called Akira, and he's always showing up. And in this first time that he appears, he's voiced by George Takei. He's got a few lines, and he's, he has that very singular voice. George yes, Takei. Yes, so distinctive. It's, it's he's a, great. Oh my! Oh my! Oh my! So yeah, this is a good episode. This is a, a, a fun episode, and I have a couple of questions. For, for the first question I have is: Is there no way to test if Homer ingested this poison? I mean, because uh, the the plot line, just to sum it up, right? I mean, he he eats the the fugu fish, which is a blowfish, mm -hmm. which in supposedly it's it can be poisonous if you know, prepared incorrectly. And so and the preparation because... is horrible. Yeah, they slice the fish when while it's alive. So yeah, I'm, oh. I've never tried that ever. Oh my. But oh my. Oh my. Oh my. I am actually not sure if it can be tested. I I have no idea. Well I would imagine that was because because here's the thing. So yeah, because the master chef is too busy with Mrs. Kravapol in the backseat of his car. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 oh Miss Kravapol. Oh, your hair smells so oh, oh, clean. Oh, master, oh. you are needed in the kitchen. So since the master chef, uh, played by Sap Shimono, I believe, um, is so, he's too busy with Mrs. Kravapol, so, you know, his skill hands are busy, and so he tells mm -hmm. his apprentice to do it. And uh, obviously, he's he doesn't know at that moment that it's the fugu, because I'm sure that if he knew, he would he would have uh, had to stop what he was doing and go prepare it. But the point is that they believe that it's been improperly prepared, and therefore, you know, uh, Homer has ingested the poisonous what it has, and and he's going to die. But my point is, the entire concept is based on an assumption. It's like Dr. Hibbert says, if you ingested this poison, and all evidence seems to indicate that you have, um, then this is what's going to happen. You have 24 hours to live, right? And I go yeah. like, wait a minute, if, like if, like what, they can't do a blood test or, uh, you know, uh, they, they won't even try pumping his stomach because that like, obviously that would be the first thing you're going to do is like to, to get that out of you, you know, uh, as quickly as possible to make sure you don't digest any of that poison. But clearly they don't do that. He's just like kind of sitting there and then whatever, they, they obviously look him over because he's got his shirt off. So they obviously did a general checkup on him. Um, so that's why I asked myself, what, they didn't take a blood test or anything else to sort of confirm that he had in fact ingested that poison? Like, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, it's weird to me. I wonder, it's just weird to hang something so, so important and so crucial uh, to a person's life um, to hang it on an assumption which is what seems to be the case here. 
Yeah, well, I'm I'm doing some live research here, and sure. I can't find if there's like a a, a test. But there's like a, a Japanese prefecture that's uh, growing fugu without poisoning, like non-poisonous fugu. So huh. that's interesting. So th this is yeah. not this exists. This is not fictional. Like the this no. particular blowfish is real, and it it's really real. is poisonous. Yes. Now I think the assumption uh, comes from the fact that, uh, as far as I know, uh, if you're going to become uh, a sushi chef. You have to spend like years learning how to slice the fish, how to, you know, how to prepare it. And yeah. fugu is like an advanced skill. And because the, the apprentice was the one that prepared the, the fugu, then they're just assuming it's probably poison. Poison, poison, tasty fish. That's why yes, they assume, but I can't find anything about testing. But it's also, look, this is like a, a self... Uh, like a self-inflicted wound for Homer, because he was so reluctant to try um, the sushi, and then he loved it so much that he didn't care about warnings. He didn't let the the waiter talk. He just mm -hmm. wanted it. And uh, Homer's a real asshole about it too, because it's like concentrate, concentrate. I want ah! I didn't know it was real, and the, the whole thing that you just said about—I mean, first of all, do you like sushi? I used to like sushi, but then I got intoxicated. So now I like the type of sushi that doesn't have raw meat. Because people I think see. that, uh, yeah, because people think that sushi is just uh, the sushi rolls you commonly see. But mm -hmm. as I understand it, sushi is just a style of food and it has like 40 something plus dishes. Okay, and some of them yeah. have raw meat and some of them don't. Okay. So, okay. yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love sushi. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I just I just love it. You know, and you would think that you can't. It's the sort of thing when, when you're a kid, you'll think it's gross, right? Because mm -hmm. the concept, it's raw fish, right? And then you think about yeah. it. But no, eventually, you know, uh, I, I do love it. Um, and it's like, I don't, I'm not really like, I don't like fish in general. Like it's mm -hmm. fish is not my, my meal choice most of the time, but I do like sushi. And I do mm -hmm. like ceviche. I yeah, love ceviche. I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, it's raw. It's raw fish, you know. But but, uh, but I love it. I mean, if it's well prepared, you know, you gotta you gotta you know marinate it in lime juice and put the you know the onion and the garlic and everything. And it's just it's delicious. Look, I have a cousin who went to culinary school, and she explained to me that uh, it's not exactly raw because the citric acid begins to cook the meat so yes. yeah so when you eat sushi you're not exactly eating raw like 100% raw meat but right. still you need someone to to prepare it well because then you get what happened to me which was a horror show the intoxication brought on by those kinds of things the food poisoning that happens from eating raw food uh, mm -hmm. has a particular quality to it which I can only imagine must have been horrendous for you, and I'm sorry that you had that experience. Um, <laughs> you know, I just, uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, ceviche is great. Ceviche is, uh, you know, I'm going to confess that I enjoy the occasional drink. So mm -hmm. since I'm somebody who enjoys the occasional drink, sometimes I I have a little more than I should, and so the next day I'm hungover, of course. 
And mm -hmm. because of this, uh, I must say that to date, the best hangover food for me has always been ceviche. Oh, cool. Like just for, I mean, it's gotta be really spicy though. Like you, you gotta put enough pepper in there. They you know enough, uh, enough chili pepper or hot pepper or whatever in there to make my mouth scream. That's, that's basically what it is. You, and you do that and the hangover is, is gone. It's gone within minutes. But, but that's the key is the spice. No, it's not the, the, the fish and not the meat, it's the spice. Because yes. the, uh, look, I, whenever I get hangover, it's like also a nightmare. I can't walk, I can't talk, I, I, I'm just disabled, basically. Yeah, but, pretty much. Yeah, the only time that I've had a good experience going out for drinks and, and not getting like a terrible hangover was uh, this one time when I went to eat um, Arab food. And I got like a super spicy kebab. And then I had like a pint of Guinness and then some other drinks. And I didn't get a hangover. So it is a spice. Yeah, well, that is the key. And what you were talking about, were you hungover when you did this? Or is this something like you went out drinking and then you ended up at some late night restaurant having uh, a kebab? No, I ate before drinking. Oh, I see. So it was like and a so pre thing. Okay. It was a pretty thin, it prevented my hangover. It was great. Yes, well that's, I mean, that is true. Uh, when I, if, if, ever, if ever it's like a barbecue or something, at like a friend's mm -hmm. house, obviously there's gonna be a lot of, certainly beer, you know? Yeah. And because you're having, you know, barbecued beef all day, you're lining your stomach with grease. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, uh, yes. unless, you re unless you really overdo it, chances are you're not going to be hungover because you're just not going to get that drunk. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, interesting the way the body works, the, the physiology of, of, of this. It is like that, you know, like after, after a night of drinking, before you even go to bed, if you eat something, you know, if you, if you find some like all-night kiosk somewhere and have like a greasy cheeseburger, mm -hmm. you're going to probably be better off than if you have nothing and then just go to sleep and then the next day, you know, well, whatever, but, but eating before that's, that's a key thing. That's an interesting point. There are five levels of drinking six. If you live in a trailer park, but never mind that now. So anyway, Homer, Homer thinks he's going to die. So that's, mm -hmm. uh, that, that's the crux of this episode. That is the basic, uh, idea. And it's weird that like he plans out this, I guess, bucket list, you know, this 24 hour bucket list. That's the first time I ever saw the concept of the bucket list. Yes, although I don't think they refer to it as a bucket list in the episode, no. but it's what it is. It's like the list of things you want to do before you die, right? Obviously, there's the movie The Bucket List. Have, have you mm -hmm. seen that movie? I chose not to. <laughs> you chose not. Yeah, I, I think you chose wisely. But what I'll say oh, about okay. the bucket list, it, I mean, it's, you know what, it's kind of an innocuous movie, really. It's not like, it's not particularly terrible, but it's also not particularly good. It's just kind of a, a very dumb kind of middling movie. It's only noteworthy in my life because it's the last movie I saw with my ex-wife. Our marriage ended shortly after that. Because I'm not going to say it was because of, because of the movie, I, I, you know, but I do associate it with that. You know, it's like I, yeah. I, I associate... Right, the bucket list. That was the last movie date I ever had with my ex-wife. We went to see the bucket list. All it reminds me of, every time I think of the bucket list, I think of that. You know, I go like, oh, that's, that's unpleasant. It, it, I associate it with an unpleasant memory. 
but the movie itself is like it's only okay actually uh, more than the bucket list what this episode reminds me of is mm -hmm. um this movie with michael keaton called my life oh that is so sad yes yes that is a very yeah. sad movie but that is a very indifferent like it's 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 a better movie than the bucket list the the concept of like michael keaton you know, he plays a man who finds out he's he's got terminal cancer. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna mm -hmm. die before his uh, his child is born. Yeah, and he records all those videos. Right, and so that's what it is. It's just, it's just right. He's he's recording a video for for his unborn child, a series of videos, so that so that there can be a record of of him imparting his his fatherly advice and fatherly wisdom to the child. It's a, it's a nice movie it's a very it's a very sad film it was written by bruce joel rubin and, and bruce joel rubin uh wrote two other movies that are noteworthy in the 90s he wrote ghost and he also wrote jacob's ladder wow. and and he wrote that's you know, a hit list yeah and he's and then and he, and he writes my life and then what i what i researching bruce joel rubin apparently bruce joel rubin lost his um lost his mother to cancer Mm -hmm. And so uh, this was his way of dealing with that by writing these movies that are ostensibly about death. You know, I mean, Jacob's mm -hmm. Ladder, Ghost, and My Life. That's a trilogy right there. That's a trilogy of death, like seen yes. from different angles, essentially. And it's, it's very interesting when you look at that. But, uh, but like, My Life is a movie that people don't really talk about too much. Um, and, you know, it's got its ups and downs. It's a little bit too maudlin at times. But mm -hmm. uh, I do think that Michael Keaton gives a great performance. And I do think that it's a genuinely uh, heartfelt film. You know, like, the, it's coming from a truthful place. That, that, that's what yeah. I think about the movie. It's very emotional. It's, yeah. really, it, it's, it's just a, like a, a really pretty movie. Sometimes life gives us just what we hope for. And sometimes it doesn't. This story, Homer thinking that he's going to die, so it touches on the same topic. It's essentially about, it, it's looking at mortality, right? And about the idea of, if you're aware of this, if you, if you know that, I mean, we, in essence, all of us, you know, we are all dying. Okay, it's like, yeah. it's just that we don't have a, we don't always have like a time frame. You know, and, mm -hmm. that, and that what happens is when somebody becomes terminally ill, the, the only thing that that happens is that the process becomes accelerated, or at least you have a you have a clearer idea of when it's coming. But the message of all of these movies, ultimately of all these stories, is always that you have to try to live your life as as plainly and as fully as possible, because yeah. because of that, because it's a this is a finite thing, it's a finite experience that we have, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's the concept here, and it's it's nice if you can manage to do that with humor and pull it off. And I think that uh, this episode does manage to do that in that it, it makes you think about that concept. And as you were saying earlier, it humanizes Homer. It, it, it opens you up to him a little bit on an emotional level. You start to see him as a person instead of as a cartoon character, which I think is effective. And it's got the emotion, but it's also funny and genuinely funny. Yeah. That's because Homer is just like a, a, a silly, silly person. <laughs> and that's where the humor comes from. And that's why it's so effective. 
But uh, this episode does it explains what ho- why Homer is the way he is. Because uh, I mean, in the previous uh, episodes that I've talked about, I've mm-hmm. mentioned how he uh, how Homer is kind of uh, he's he's very into you know like patriarchal behaviors. Yes, he's not he's not a particularly good dad. He neglects his kids. When he starts going to the kids' bedrooms and tries to like impart some wisdom or whatever, yeah. Uh, did you notice that at the beginning of those those interactions, it, it, it reflects the way he normally treats his kids? Yes, so, you know, very good point. To, yeah, when he goes to Bart's, like Bart just gets on his knees and pulls down his pants, like he's ready right. to receive the punishment. Exactly. Uh, and, yeah, and in each interaction, it's like, like reflects the way he's as a dad. But then when you see him with his dad, you see that his dad treated him the way he treats his kids. And you go, ah, oh, that's the explanation. That's very interesting. That's, a, that, yeah. you, you know, because that's not something that I had, that I had thought about. But mm-hmm. you're absolutely right that... Um, that for, first, you know, yeah, the, that's very clear when he when he goes when he goes to his kids, you know, to sort of subtly kind of say goodbye to them, you know, have, have a nice moment with them before he leaves. Right. Yeah. And so but yeah, exactly. Their attitude towards him because he's not he's keeping it to himself. You know, he and Marge have decided they're not going to talk about it. They're just going to, you know, they don't want the kids to be upset or anything. And yeah, their attitude, since they don't know what's going on, they're just like, oh, he's here. You know, in Bart's case, he's here to punish me, or in Lisa's case, oh, he's here to complain and tell me yeah. to stop playing, like whatever it is. And that's not it. You know, he, he really just wants to share a good moment with these. And then, yeah, exactly. Then when he goes to his dad, because the thing about his dad is about he wants to, on his bucket list, he wants to reconcile with his father. Clearly, they don't have a, yeah. they never had a really close relationship or whatever. So he, he wants to make peace with him. He wants to tell him that he loves him. He wants to, you know get that get that out you know so that it's clear before he leaves mm-hmm. and uh and i think that that's uh and you're right i mean it shows that he had a a bad relationship with his own dad you know he, mm-hmm. he his own dad probably was not very loving and so at that moment it just, the floodgates just open clearly these are all just repressed emotions because even even homer's dad you know even even grandpa simpson is just like oh my god yes I do love you and you know and, and all this time that we've wasted and you know we've, no, we've never spent any time together or been affectionate to each other or done anything fun together and now let's do it let's do it all today let's go yes. fishing let's wrestle let's it's a very idealized uh reconciliation because that in my experience that doesn't happen very often no probably not probably not yes. and it's like, and, but, but yeah you're and it's and that again that's a very funny scene because like he's spending so much time now like making up for lost time with his dad that he's losing time and so he's got to keep on checking things off his list like checking cool things off his you know like skydiving and like plant the tree or like Ooh. hey <laughs> well no time for that <laughs> to do that one. Gee, Dad, way to hog my last moments. So that is very funny. And interestingly enough, you know, uh, little parentheses, now that you've talked about, uh, you brought up the the fact where you have Homer being a shitty dad because Mm -hmm. his own dad was a shitty dad. 
And yes. this is not, this is natural and truthful. That's the way life is. That's, I mean, invariably, if you yourself um, have not had good parenting, there's a good chance that you might not be a good parent yourself. Some people are able to break the cycle. Some people are aware of it. And because they go like, well, I had a shitty dad, so I'm not going to be a shitty dad, right? But yeah, but there's so cases, many people that just don't, they don't realize it. And they just repeat patterns. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so this is all coinciding with, uh, I started on it last night. I got the audio book of, um, of Mary Trump's book. Oh, the one, that, wow. the one that everyone's talking about now, you know, the, the, you know, the, the story of, um, it's essentially a biography of the Trump family, not really just about Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Although clearly that's the, going to be the main focus of only, um, I'm only a couple of chapters into it, but what I will say is that it's very compelling. And th these first couple of chapters, they're, they're very much about Fred Trump, Fred Trump senior. And they're, pretty much painting, you know, uh, she's painting a picture of, of Trump being the way he is because he was essentially programmed to be that way by mm -hmm. a terrible, terrible, terrible man who was Fred Trump Sr. Essentially yes. just like Fred Trump Sr. was himself a sociopath who had this belief that uh, acts of kindness were actually a show of weakness that uh, it's all about the money, it's all about giving people money, is a show of weakness, you know, all this stuff, these notions, and that he was psychologically abusive to his children, including mm -hmm. Donald Trump. You know, he, and he essentially groomed Trump because uh, the, older, the older son, Fred, Fred Jr., who is Mary Trump's um, father, he was, although he was the firstborn and he was clearly a more prepared person, you know, I think he was like a, a licensed pilot and I don't know what else, uh, but, you know, a more human person and not really what Fred Trump senior would expect. So when he saw those tendencies in little Donald, he was like, okay, this is the guy that I'm going to groom to be my true successor. This, this piece of shit right here is going to follow in my footsteps. And so yep. he, he deliberately kind of programmed Donald Trump to be a piece of shit. And so like, I, I, it's fascinating, you know, to like, doesn't have anything to do with this episode, obviously, but it, but it does have that, that whole thing about, no, but it does. Yeah. Well, bad parenting results in bad parents. And in most cases, what you have is a cycle, you know? Yes. Um, and, and it's a, it's a pattern, as you said, or a cycle. And yeah, interestingly that, uh, Homer might, in a sense, intuits this about himself because that's why it's so important on his list. He wants to try to leave something of himself that is positive. He, I guess he realizes that maybe he hasn't been the best dad, you know? And so, like, he, he says, well, you know, before I go, I'm going to try to do something. I'm going to try to leave them with some positive memory, some positive seed that I can plant. What I like about that is that um, it shows how Homer is just really damaged he's just a damaged guy because he does like his son he does enjoy Lisa's music and spending time with her but because of all this past experience with his dad and with his mom because wasn't he abandoned by his mom um that is something that we yes that's something that we don't know at this point uh we don't really uh, oh yeah it, it was it's eventually revealed right eventually like yes. uh, 
you know, a couple of a season or two later, they go into this. At this point, though, we just assume that his mom must have passed away at some point in the past. And, oh, okay. You know, and, but uh, like in the very next episode, for example, which is the way we was, um, you're going to see Homer's youth, you know, Homer's high school years. And at that point, you will already see that he lived, that his dad was a single father. He lived alone. Yeah. So I don't remember if they go into it there, but uh, I think up until this point, we always made the assumption that he was a, that uh, Abraham Simpson was simply a widower. His wife, Homer's mom, had passed away young, presumably. And so, so there it is. Uh, but uh, but yeah, later on we find out that it's not that; it's that she actually walked away. She abandoned him. So there, there's there's more to it than that. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 a good look at uh, parenting and at um, Homer seriously reflecting on his life, on his his status as a father and as a husband, you know, mm-hmm. um, and all that stuff that you said. Yeah, he he's a traditional guy. I mean, he ha- he obviously has very patriarchal values because he's a traditional guy, and that's how he was raised. He he, he expects March to fulfill the wife role, you know, the, the the housewife. That's what he expects. He expects that of her. He definitely loves her, uh, oh, yeah. and he expresses it in the same in in the way that he knows how. I mean, he does. He wants to give her her space, uh, and uh, in this, you know, she's in that list. You know, they they. They they are going to watch a sunrise together, which of course doesn't happen because he oversleeps. And by the way, that's interesting to me too. It's like I'm going like I don't know how realistic it is. I mean, it works for this for the episode, and this is a comedy in the end. But and it leads to a funny joke. Bart, why did you let me sleep so late? You look so peaceful lying there. There'll be plenty of time for that. First of all, the fact that he can sleep. I think it, if I were to find out that I had 24 hours to live, which I mean, I don't think it's ever in real life, it's ever that clear cut. But, um, no. but, but if I were to find out that I had 24 hours to, li- to live, I don't know that I would sleep at all. If that were me, like, I'm not sleeping. Like, that's, I'm not sleeping. I'm going to stay, I'm going to take the next 24 hours to do all the stuff that I want to do and whatever, yeah. right? And, you know, I, I don't mean like in the end, you know, like when he figures, okay, it's going to be any minute now. So let me go find a place. He, he obviously, like, when, when he thinks the time is coming, you know, Marge is asleep, I guess he figures he's still awake, you know, so he figures he'll go and, you know, sit somewhere. You know, he, he actually finds a nice place. He goes into the den and, like, sits in front of the window and sort of he figures this is a nice place to be at the end, right? Yeah, and, he goes uh, to read the good book, which is an audio book. Yes. Oh, that was so fun. <laughs> Yes, that, that right, is very right by Larry King. Oh my God! Begat Phineas. Phineas begat Abushua, and Abushua begat Ahimaaz. Ahimaaz begat. Begat Amariah onward. Amariah begats Ahitub. Ahitub begat. Shalom begat Hilkiah. Originally, the first person they approached to do that was, mm-hmm. I think, Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen was going to be the approached. He ultimately turned them down. And so they went to Larry King, but Larry King is just funnier. Like, I, I don't like, I don't even know, like, I don't know that Springsteen reading the Bible is as funny a notion as Larry King doing it. You know what I mean? So I don't oh, even know where that idea came, like how they thought that up. But yeah, that is very funny. And I looked it up, like on Audible, uh, um, you can actually get the New Testament is read by James Earl Jones. Oh, which, wow. And I thought to myself, Hmm, New Testament, read by James Earl Jones. 
Jones. <laughs> and like, I'm actually thinking about it now. Like, I'm actually thinking I want to get, I, I want to get that. I want to listen to that. James Earl Jones is like the voice. Yeah. He is definitely the voice. And, you know, I mean, the voice of God, you know, because that's the word of God, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. So who better to embody that? I mean, it was either going to be him or Morgan Freeman. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yeah, it was just so funny because I look, I was, I got curious. I watched this and then I said, wait a minute, I, I've always wondered. So is there an audiobook of the Bible? There would have to be, right? So I looked it up on Audible and I saw that. I saw that they had that. And, and in my head, it was like, and then I thought, and of course it's James Earl Jones. Who else would it be? Who's the Black Friday gift? It's a sex machine to all the chicks. Shaq! You're damn right. Who's the cat that won't cop out when there's danger all about? Shaq! Right on. The last bit uh, that I think is, is worth noting is the, the fact that the sushi restaurant also has a karaoke bar. Because of course it does. Oh, uh, yeah. And yeah, so I was going to ask you, so is karaoke... I would expect that it probably is, but is karaoke like a thing in, in Colombia at all? Maybe not at the level of Japan, but I did used to go to this rock bar and they had their in-house band and they used to let people go and sing songs. So yeah, there is. Okay, so it would be like, a, yeah. so you're saying it would be live karaoke? Yeah, like, like live the karaoke. Band, the band would play the song and then somebody from the audience, you know, somebody a patron would go and um, and yep. sing, have the lyrics book there or whatever and sing. Yeah. I've heard of places like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. karaoke is actually quite big here in Bolivia. I basically became aware of it here, mm -hmm. you know, like in a, in a real way. You know what I mean? It's not so much that mm -hmm. I, it's not, it's something that I ever really thought about, even though you, you would see it always show up in, when, when they make references to Japan, like if it's, you got the movie Black Rain. But it's not something I ever really thought about until I, I had already been living here for here in La Paz for about a year. And uh, I went to visit a friend of mine uh, who, lived, uh, who lived in the neighborhood. So he was like, uh, you know, and uh, he was like a really good friend of mine. I practically grew up with this guy. And he had a karaoke machine in his house, mm -hmm. right? And I had never seen one of those things before. I had no idea what, what that was like. And so I'd go hang out with him. And sometimes, you know, like maybe he'd have to go do homework or whatever it is. And I'd just be hanging out. So while he's doing his homework in the other room, I just sort of pop on his, his karaoke machine and just went to town, you know, just would be there Ooh. like singing, singing songs. And it was it used like video discs, I guess. And so the sound quality was almost like meaty, like they were like chip tunes. It didn't sound like original audio or anything like that, but it was interesting. And, and then, so that was what I thought karaoke was. Oh, so this is that thing, this is karaoke, okay, fine. And so I would have fun doing that. And I would do that periodically. Anytime I'd go visit him, if there was a moment that I had to myself, I would play around with his karaoke machine. And then yeah. sometime after this, his older brother is like, hey, let's go out. You know, he wants to take us out on the town for some drinks or whatever it is. And he's the one who says, and let's go to a karaoke bar, right? And, I, and in my head, I'm like, a karaoke bar? You like, like, you mean like that, that machine you have in your house, except like in a bar? He's like, yeah, 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 it's fun. You'll see, it's great. 
like, all right, fine. So we, we went to a karaoke bar and that was, that was funny because like, that's, you know, you, you get to the, the, it's, it's a fancy bar, you know, it's got like TV screens mm-hmm. and they bring the microphone to your table and you order a drink or whatever it is. And there's this menu of songs and they had tons of songs, you know, much more than what my friend had in his house and even stuff that was more like contemporary and like more current and everything. And so like, oh, wow, this is fun. So I, so among the songs, they had um, Patience, the Guns N' Roses song. This is nine, this, again, this would have been 92, 93. So I was still mm-hmm. very firmly into that. I was, I was still into Guns N' Roses. I was still into that stuff. And so I, mm-hmm. they, they have Patience, so I, I order Patience. It's like, okay, that's the one I'm going to sing. And so I, I get into it. I start singing Patience, and I do the whole thing. I get to the end. I, get the, I do the whole song. And then my friend and his brother are just kind of looking at me. And then they just immediately go into the menu and they just start ordering all the Guns N' Roses songs that are like available. So I end up doing this like, the place was relatively empty. We went early in the evening. So I end up doing this like miniature um, Guns N' Roses concert for my friends. And it was funny. Wow. And it was because of that. And, that's, and that was my first experience. And the thing is, the difference is that in this karaoke bar, obviously these, this was already like much better audio quality. Like it was like, you know, it was like the original song. It was basically like the, the track was just like on the record, except it didn't have vocals. So it sounded mm-hmm. really good, right? So I was like, oh, so this, this is what it really is like. And so I got really into it because of that. I became a regular at that bar. And I would, it got to the point where I didn't even have to ask for songs anymore. Like I'd, like I'd show up, the DJ would see me, and they would just like, they would just line up my songs, you know? <laughs> And uh, so wow. it, was, it was it was fun. That that was my induction into singing. Like that's how I became a singer, because uh-huh. because of that, that I was eventually recruited to sing in a band, and then and because I had already some experience at karaoke bars, that helped with my stage fright. And so, yeah, I mean, I I owe my amateur singing career to karaoke. So you know, awesome. They say this cat Shaft's a bad mother. Shut your mouth. But I'm talking about Shaft. Then I can dig it. He's a complicated man, but no one understands him but his woman. John Shaft. I, I think people shouldn't, like, create bucket lists. I, I don't agree with that concept. Look, a, a bit self-revelatory here, but I did have a bucket list uh, that I wrote or, you know, like created when I was like 11. By the time I was 22, I had gone through all of it. So the danger of having a bucket list for me is that if you complete it before you die, you're gonna get so lost. But to be fair, I mean, you're a very different person when you're 11 than when you're, you know, 22. Uh, um, I, I would not be surprised if your bucket list at age 11 included a lot of things that are relatively achievable you know um mm-hmm. and so yeah i mean i, I but I, I think i get what you're saying having a bucket list i think i mean it, it cuts both ways because if you can make a list of things that you think are important that everybody should do at least once yeah. right mm-hmm. and so that can help you i guess to keep yourself focused and have that list of things you want to make sure you do yeah it's really important to have a goal so you can yeah have like a motivation, but once you uh, achieve it, just have another one. Maybe it's better, yeah, exactly. Maybe make a list of goals rather than, and rather than call it a bucket list, 
just make yeah. a list of goals. Just make a list of goals and be like, okay, these are things I want to achieve and I'm going to achieve them. And so you start working towards them. You do like this little yeah. checklist of goals. And what, and if you've achieved all those goals, then you then you you think to yourself, all right, well, let's do another list. But when, yeah. when it's just a, a bunch of random things that you want to do, like, and that's how it usually is. It's always stuff like skydiving. That, that always shows up. The whole thing about skydiving, and also like in the movie The Bucket List, that's mm -hmm. part of that's on the list for them to go skydiving. Or at least I don't know if it's on Nicholson's list or on Morgan Freeman's list. The point is that's one of the things they do because the bucket list is a funny comedy about old guys doing stuff that's funny to see old guys doing extreme sports mm -hmm. and whatnot, right? And I go to myself, yeah, you know, but that stuff, like, I don't think I could ever get into extreme sports. Like, I've never, I've never gone skydiving, and I'm mm -hmm. pretty sure that if I were ever to make a bucket list. I would not put that on the list because I, I just don't, I don't, I'll, I won't, I won't do it. I won't, yeah. I don't find the appeal of extreme sports. I don't really find the appeal of things that are life-threatening, potentially. Like, I just go like, why? You know? Yeah, me too. You know, it's like, I love Point Break, okay? But it doesn't mean that I want to do that because I don't, I just don't. Yeah, it looks like it could be a lot of fun. But it also looks like if something goes wrong, you're fucked. So I don't, you know, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know that I want to do that. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah. I'm perfectly comfortable going to like a theme park, getting on a roller coaster and just having a blast. And that stuff can and has been deadly too in its own way. But at least I feel safer in a roller coaster than I would jumping out of a plane. And maybe that makes me sound like yeah. an idiot, but it is what it is. No, that that's right. And, and also... Depends on the person what's going to fulfill you, you know. True. So maybe for, for yeah, for one person maybe it's just like go to a place and see something, and for the next person, you know, it's skydiving. But mm -hmm. I think you and I can both agree that uh, skydiving is not on our list of goals. Well, certainly not on mine. I don't know about you. Well, but, oh no, 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 no. I I don't see the appeal at all. I, yeah. All right, then. High five. Now, a little death anxiety is normal. Uh, you can expect to go through five stages. The first is denial. No way, because I'm not dying. Second is anger. Why, you little... After that comes fear. What's after fear? What's after fear? Bargaining. Doc, you got to get me out of this. I'll make it worth your while. Finally, acceptance. Well, we all got to go sometime. Well, yeah, this episode holds up. This episode's funny. I think we can agree that it's a fun episode. It's a good one. It touches on its themes in a, in a fun way tells a good story, and it it never goes too far into the sentimental um, arena. So it maintains a really good balance where it's, it's a yeah. touching story. But also, as you're watching, you know he's not going to die. So that's not even oh, like it's not even sure. there's no suspense. I mean, you know, what is this the last episode? It's not so like, obviously, he's not going to die. So so it's not you're not even watching for that reason. You're not watching for the suspense of of what's going to happen, you know, you just, you're watching it because you know he's not going to die, but you're, but you're getting the message. It's, it's about Homer reconnecting with aspects of, of his life or connecting for the first time in some cases. And the show though does do this thing where they acknowledge that this is a self-contained half an hour sitcom where each episode mm -hmm. has to sort of be its own thing. And then you've got to restore the status quo for the next week. 
which is why even though he's all like from this day forth i promise to live life to the fullest you know over the closing credits you've got him like you know munching up potato chips and watching tv <laughs> yep yeah like nothing changes don't worry but that's what happens with everything, pretty much. I mean, yes. and that's what I meant about uh, uh, this emotional reconciliations not being like what was shown here. Because usually, right. yeah, they happen. Those conversations happen. And then the next week, you're back to the same behavior. And you're back yeah. to the same fights. So it's normal and it's, it may seem look very human. Yeah. So great talk, huh? This was this was this was yeah. good. I'm glad we did this, and it's been great having you. We we saw some pretty good episodes this season, and uh, I'll definitely have you come back next season. Please, I'll be here. Until the next time. So that's it for this week's installment of the Simpsons Countdown. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this, please give us a like. If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe. This podcast is available on Spotify. Apple, Anchor FM, or pretty much anywhere. A brief review might actually help boost the podcast's profile as well. And if it isn't too much trouble, please do share this with all your friends, both virtual and actual, on social media. I'm Eric Santuan, and I'll be back next Thursday evening to talk about The Way We Was, which is the first of The Simpsons' classic origin story episodes. My good friend Josh Fine will be on hand to discuss that one, and I hope you'll join us. Until then, stay safe out there and continue observing your biosafety and social distancing protocols because whether your area is opening up or not, we're not quite through this thing and we need everyone to do their part, keeping themselves and everyone else healthy. And we'll get through this in due time. Thank you for listening. See you next week. My freshman philosophy professor assigned this exercise and called it a bucket list. We're supposed to make a list of all the things we should.